You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, sexymarriage.net. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Happy Wednesday. Yeah, happy hump day, everyone. Welcome to Sexy Marriage Radio. Back to airing our weekly episodes once a week on Wednesdays, as we have for years and years, only to take a short break for the last six months, trying a two-episode-a-week format. Now we're going back to a one-episode-a-week format, but two different versions. Do tell. Well, here you go. What are the two versions, (laughs) Dr. Allen? You have a regular version, which is what... um, is coming out on iTunes as it always does that we ask you to subscribe to rate and review, tell your friends, uh, lots of your questions that are answered on the, on the air. And then we also have an extended version, which is uh, more content about twice as much. Yep. And it allows you to, allows us to go deeper, answer more of your questions. And we'll also get some guests that will be joining us on and off to go deeper into a subject. So how do I get that? And to get into that, you join the Sexy Marriage Academy, which is sexymarriage.net forward slash SMR Academy. And so for $27 a month, you get the extended version, which will show up right in your feed after you get all uh, signed up and ready to go. You also get a monthly live Q&A coaching call with us, as well as access to a private community to have some great dialogue with other active participants in there. And... um, other additional things as they are created and come out. This is just for the Academy members only. I like that. I like that value add. And I think it's a great, vibrant community because the conversations that take place uh, in the in the chat rooms uh, there between the members goes pretty deep. It's very supportive. There's a men's mm-hmm. only and a women's only channels that allow you, if you've got some, hey, I've got a question and I don't know where in the world I can ask said question. The Sexy Marriage Academy is where you can. Yeah, it's perfectly safe place to ask it you know you're not going to get a bunch of smut coming up on uh, search engines or anything like that right you get vibrant interaction yeah. from other members as well as ourselves that exactly. are involved in this yeah. and so uh, this is this will be a fun a fun shift I'm looking forward to where this is going to go and um, just basically saying to you welcome to sexy marriage radio and to the sexy marriage nation uh, glad you've joined us. However, you take the time out to listen to us, and however you find us, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, I mean, there's all kinds of means to find us. We ask you that you would, if you would subscribe, rate and review the show, uh, leave your comments, and then also if you've got something you want on the show, because this show does not happen without you, uh, we ask you to call and leave us a voicemail two one four seven zero two nine five six five. Uh, and I am even able to, if you would like to leave a message to be played on the air that we then will answer, but you're concerned about your own voice being recognizable to other people on the air, all you got to do is let me know and I can alter your voice and disguise you. Oh. Got to love technology. I didn't know you? you could do that. That's pretty sweet. Or if you'd like to, you can also send us an email, feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. So... 
Coming up on today's regular version, the free version of Sexy Marriage Radio, lots of your questions and lots of our answers. And on the extended version, uh, which is twice as long, and who doesn't want this subject to last twice as long most of the time? <laughs> you can subscribe at sexymarriage.net, listen to the whole our whole conversation where we're going to dive deeper into the seven-year itch. As, because today as is... As well as the Me Too movement. Okay. And... More of your questions possibly being even answered, but my, I interrupted my wife because the reason we're going to be covering in the extended version some information on the seven-year itch is... It's the seventh anniversary. Seven years ago today, Sexy Marriage Radio hit the airwaves. That is... Changed the world forever. ...is awesome. Uh, and I have, I'm going to say thank you to the Sexy Marriage Nation because they are what has helped make this happen. Yeah, They play a vital yeah. role. Um, I have to say also thank you to Gina Paris and Shannon Etheridge. Absolutely. Who helped lay some great foundation to create what we've created. And we're huge voices, a part of this whole journey together. And a thank you to my wife, who's been through this all along, uh, behind the scenes, now on the air, in front of the scenes. Yeah, I love everything this show has been um, and what it's becoming. Looking yes. forward to the next seven and, and so, seven after that. Happy anniversary yeah. to the Sexy Congratulations, Marriage Nation. Congratulations, Corey. This is, this is worth celebrating, and I have no music cued like I normally would. Right. But that you know what? That gives us more time to just jump right into your questions. Hi, Dr. Allen. Uh, long-time listener here. I've got a, a question for you. Um, I've listened to, to most, if not all, of your episodes and haven't heard this answer, this particular issue addressed. Uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in a religious household, and uh, and because I grew up in a religious household, some some things, of course, were discouraged. One of those being masturbation. And so, growing up, I learned how to shut down uh, my body and my um, and I guess my desires to a certain degree, uh, so so as to not have to deal with that issue. Um, so fast forward a few years, uh, I met my wife. Um, got, you know, when night came along and, uh, and I was completely 100% terrified. And, uh, and so, you know, went into the, after the wedding, you know, went to, drove to where we were going to stay and I completely shut down, wasn't able to perform in the least degree. Uh, that went on for about a week. Gratefully went to, you know, a doctor, uh, it was prescribed, you know, some Viagra to kind of get things going. Which it, it did, and uh, and everything was fine. So fast forward a decade later, we've been married now for about a decade, and um, and that that very issue of not being able to you know perform on my wedding night, I guess, still lingers in the back of my mind in most occasions when when we try to be intimate. I can perform fine, uh, but it takes a little bit of you know, warming up and kind of relaxing into it. And, uh, and, and I just, it's just there in the back of my mind. I feel like if there was something that I could do to, to learn to, to trust my body, I guess, and allow things to unfold, that would help me. But I'm not sure how to, to just kind of, you know, take the last few steps to get there. Uh, to compound that issue, of course, um, because these things are always compounded. Uh, my my wife, one of the things that she likes and wants me to do is to be more aggressive on occasion. And I feel like I can't do that because I 
have to warm up and kind of, you know, get going in order to, to feel like I'm okay and, and everything is going to be, you know, everything is going to go up as it should and so on. So um, I'm just wondering if you could address this issue and uh, and maybe talk a little bit about, you know, trusting your body. And, uh, again, I feel like it's just this one little this one little piece that hasn't quite fallen into place for me. That if, it, if it could, then, you know, that would be great and I could relax and, and uh, give my wife what she'd like. So thanks again. Love the show. Uh, it's So right off the bat, I have to say the idea of the if-then uh, doesn't usually work with our sexuality. And what do you mean if-then in this scenario? If I could just get this thing covered or addressed or dealt with, then everything else will fall into place. Then sex will come easy. Then no anxiety, no struggle, no performance issues. Okay, but if you have identified a specific arena that is an issue for you, there's nothing wrong with trying to tackle oh, that piece, right? Absolutely not. And that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm, I'm suggesting in the sense of it's not linear most often in marriage and in life where A plus B equals C. Okay. Um, the only time that seems to run true is in negative effects. He, he talked about it at the very beginning. I was raised in a very uh, conservative, oppressive religious culture where masturbation was guilt-ridden and shameful. So he then, in a way to try to uh, address the guilt and shame, figured out how to shut it down, which the struggle is. Um, there has been lots of different issues in um, religious circles where they have tried to squash desire under the name of sanctification. Okay. And for adolescents... For sure, adolescent boys, but even adolescent girls, it's across the board. Um, you cannot squash desire. It's just there, especially when your hormones are raging in the, in the adolescent years. And so it sounds to me what he's talking about is he's got masturbation guilt. He's got even to a lesser extent, even though this is directly correlated, uh, sexual guilt, sexual desire guilt, sexual interest guilt. I mean, he doesn't explicitly say that. Okay. But I don't think it's too much of a leap to think when he was terrified of sex this very first night of marriage, that that's an issue of, I'm afraid of this aspect of my body and my psyche and my presence. Okay. So I guess I didn't read guilt into that at all, and I'm taking your expertise more. Um, but But what I'm hearing more is just a fear of not being able to perform. Correct. And largely, I would think, so let's go back into adolescent world for a second. When you have desires and your hormones are raging and there's a lot of eroticism and arousal associated with just the wind that can blow. Sure. <laughs> so if you have a sense of, I feel guilty for these feelings he says he figured out how to basically squash them, how to shut that down. Right. So he was saying, not only did I want to just not masturbate, what I'm hearing from him is saying, I didn't even want to feel those feelings. And if you go long periods of times trying to squash something, your, your brain will skew that and it'll come out in other ways. 
And then when you have to actually have the chance to experience those under, when you talk about religious circles, the auspices of marriage means all of a sudden now the floodgates should be open of your sexuality, steer it all right there, have a great time. I mean, that's been our experience. Yeah, you can't just flip a switch. Right. You can't go, I don't, 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 don't. Oh, you said I do? Oh, well, then have fun. So it's learning. I've got a, I've got some rewiring to do. So so what? how do you go about the rewiring? So he's already on to some of it. One is the use of Viagra is one of the things that helps with the performance, although that's not dealing with the anxiety. And would so the use of Viagra, is that something that is more of a short term? Okay, let's get you jump started here. And then we work on the brain to overcome how it's already been trained. Exactly. So that so then you wean, your, you wean yourself off of having to use the Viagra. Right. It's, it's a retraining because the medical world we live in today spends all its time throwing a pill at something to try to fix it without dealing with the root of it. Yeah. I mean, management. we don't want to have to have a pill all the time. <laughs> I would hope not um, that you actually get to where you start to perform regularly on whatever task it is. Mm-hmm. So when you, because when you boil this all down, He's, he's describing performance anxiety. Yeah. Another way to think of this is spectatoring. And spectatoring is when you just focus on your performance rather than the connection in the moment. Mm, okay. And to a man that has had trouble uh, achieving an erection or achieving orgasm or both, performance becomes a huge thing, especially when you couple with that, men are performance-driven kind of creatures. You know, yeah. as little boys, we would play the make-believe games in the backyards of its bottom of the ninth, two men out, full count, and can I perform? And in my imaginary world, I never struck out <laughs> when I was a little kid, right? Right. And so you fast forward years, there can be a time where sex is on about to happen, everything's really good, and all of a sudden, can I perform? Uh-oh. Mm. And if you don't, that's a huge hit to the psyche, which really takes some relaxing into it, which he's describing. And mm-hmm. I like that framework of how do I relax into it? But I'm going to say the way you relax into it is you do this way before sex even is a possibility. You start relaxing into the moments of your life as they unfold, uh, the moments with your wife as they unfold, even doing the dishes together. Relax into the presence of it, in the moment of it, in the feeling of it. Because that's the whole getting in touch with your body in all aspects of your life, not just the performance and sexuality aspect. Okay. How much of how much of this would you think the wife would play into it? How much of it does he communicate with her about, hey, here's where I am, here's my uh issue. I I, I seriously I have some performance issues. Is there anything as a help? Well, that she, what role would she play in this as well? So some of this then comes down to how does she start to see herself as an ally in this route, not as a combatant of, because it's, it's not a far leap for a wife who has a husband with an erectile issue to think it's her issue. To think it's, that maybe she's because, not attractive enough or... Because of her, okay, he can't get an erection. She's not sexy enough. She's not alluring enough. She's not erotic enough. And so it's, it's a huge courageous step for a wife to be able to say, okay, this isn't about me 
completely. How could I be an ally in this? Because a lot of times, this is the belief that we've proposed on Sexy Marriage Radio a lot, nothing turns on a man more than a sexually turned on woman. So if you work on having some conversations about, look, I've had some performance anxiety with this. You've known that because obviously if you can't perform on your wedding night, you both knew that. Yeah. So you're recognizing, hey, this is the reality. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. And what I want to do is on the times where I start to feel anxious, I want us both just to calm down and just engage ourselves in the moment to, and then come together after that. Or let me just focus on you and see if that gets the juices flowing for me. Because an erect penis does not mean I cannot have fingers that work and tongues that, a tongue that works and other parts or toys that work. Right. That can focus on her and her pleasure. And sometimes for a lot of men, a wife really getting going and me just focusing on her helps me get out of my own way to allow things to unfold. Yeah, I would agree. So it, to me, this comes back to just to circle it all back. Where's your focus during this? Is it performance or is it connection? Is it performance or is it presence? That's the goal. Okay. Corey and Pam love the show. I am so much better at this because of the way you have framed things and explained things. Uh, I'm so grateful. I tell all my friends, you guys are awesome. My question for you today is based on the fact that I think I have like a situation that's probably not that unique, but I'm not hearing uh, specific advice uh, normally in your show for people in my situation. Uh, I am the lower desire partner in my relationship. My wife is higher desire, uh, but I don't think her high desire is experienced the way a man would. She has the desire to be pursued and loved and uh, chased after. And as the lower desire partner, that doesn't come from me very much, not because I don't love her, uh, but because I'm just not thinking about it yet. Uh, we just recently had sex. I'm not back ready for more, like physiologically. So uh, it leaves her with the nagging feeling like if she was prettier, I would be a higher desire man. And it leaves me with the nagging guilt. Uh, it's not just that I'm the gatekeeper and if she wants it, come to me and I can say yes or no. I actually feel like it's still my responsibility to pursue her, make her feel sexy, uh, even before uh, my body's ready for it. So I don't know if you have any specific advice um, for our situation, but I wonder that if there's not more people like me, if it's true that a lot of couples have men with the lower desire in them. Thanks so much, guys. You're awesome. Desire differences. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what area we're talking about, it's a desire difference here and there. And it's interesting that he recognizes her side of things that if she doesn't feel like she's being pursued, she's internalizing that potentially to say, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not exotic enough. I'm not, I, I'm lacking something because he's not chasing me. Right. Right. And so those meanings are pretty important. Um, how they end up playing out in that relationship. Yeah. Thing. And that's, and that's my first question back to his question is, um, how overt has this conversation about this been between the two of you? 
to where you have discussed not the dynamics between you, but the meanings of those dynamics. Yeah. Of because I hear a couple of keywords in there that uh, that matter on the chase and the pursuit. What does that mean? Because the can I chase somebody? Can I chase my spouse and have it not be about an outcome? Can I pursue my spouse and have it not be about an outcome? Because that's sometimes I got to figure that out because it's the meaning. Because the chase could be, I just want to feel desired by you. I want I want you to when you walk past me, I would love it if you would try to steal a feel. Well, that's the outcome, right? It, what what outcome are you defining here? True. It's not that the outcome has to be sex. That's what. I, that's it's, the point. Yep. Right. So if her desire is that she feels chased only if the outcome is sex, well, that's one thing. But if she's wanting to feel like she's desirable, you don't have to pursue only sexually. Yeah, you can, and but you can also flip this on its head of if she was trying hoping to feel desirable, because he's talking about he wants from what he's understanding of his body, his refractory period is longer than just an, how long it takes to have an erection. It's also the eros inside you, the the horniness or the hormones or the arousal nature that sometimes the, I, I know of cases, and this is quantifiable in some of the research, that some people, they have a rhythm. We all do, actually. Mm, yeah. But they have a rhythm yeah. where every three days they're interested. And some, it's every day. And some, it's every week. You know, there's no variance as far as this is the appropriate number. It's just understanding yours. And he's saying, we just had sex. I'm not as interested or aroused because it takes me longer to have the arousal just kind of come around. And the interest, because that itch has been scratched and satisfied. Yeah. So one of the things you can do is flip this on this head and use that as far as it's the elephant in the room. So go ahead and claim it that you you're you had sex the night before. The day is unfolding. You don't have the sense of, man, I'm really hoping for sex tonight as a lower desire. But you see her and she's wearing something that is appealing and it's not necessarily erection drawing out in, in as far as direct arousal, but it's kind of a, oh, I like the way you look in that. Sometimes you could use that as, hey, this is one of those things that I know because of the way we are, um, the way I am in the sense that I'm not really interested in sex right now, but man, you look hot. You know, it's like, I'm just going ahead and cut it off at the past. You have to put all the of, qualifiers in the beginning. Can you just say, man, you look hot in that well, dress? You can. But if the if the attachment to outcome is this has to lead to sex, his hesitancy could be, I don't want to lead those things on and then have to shut it down, which is a common low desire problem. Okay. Right. That I'm trying to figure out how can I play and, and play a role in this, in this aspect of my relationship without having to shut things down all the time. Okay, and I'll say from the wife's perspective, that'd be a total buzzkill if you put a <laughs> bunch of qualifiers on the statement before you said, I look hot. Well, okay, but don't so don't add a whole lot of qualifiers. Thank you for that. But I think it's sometimes if you can use it playfully of, man, if we weren't in the middle of this store right now, I would do you. Well, yeah, that's that, that's a total sexual comment. I think just saying, you look really hot in that dress. Maybe, maybe that means pursuit. 
Yeah. Maybe that means chase. It, it, it's, it's, I'm recognizing you. I'm recognizing um, how you look, what, what is attractive um, to me about you. So, yeah, I think that that is part of the chase. It, it, it's just an acknowledgement of I'm looking. Okay. Yeah. And I like that, fra- that framework. I'm also trying to think of it in the, in the context of use it even sexually, but see this more as a long game. But claim the fact that, hey, my desire is different than yours, and I'm not going to avoid that fact. I'm just going to recognize it. Sure. Right. I'm going sure. to claim it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to say, hey, this is a, I'm planting a seed for tomorrow <laughs> with this statement today. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any tiptoeing around that. You just be clear on where you are, mm-hmm. but also be clear on if I see something I like, I'm going to call it and I'm going to name it for you. Right. Because uh, I think a lot of times what his question was, if it, deep in there, was I don't necessarily think of those things because my desire is lower than hers. And some of the reason we don't think of those things when it's when we're a lower desire on a topic is, one, it's not on my radar, but two, the natural conclusion of it, of if I lead it on and I'm not interested in it, I don't want to be caught in that. So therefore, I don't look for it. it I don't see it. Certainly. I mean, I've said before that the lower desire folks, we think about sex a lot more than we might let on to the higher desire side. But it may not always be in the positive regard. It's like, oh, I don't want to say that because right. then they're going to hold me to something later on tonight or later this afternoon. So, yeah, I get, I get that. But, gosh, if we're being more authentic and we want to truly make our spouse feel welcomed and loved, we as lower desires maybe need to acknowledge that there's some things we're holding back on just because we're afraid of the outcome. Yes. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting when you get deeper into this, and this is something we probably need to get into on an extended version of the show later, is the idea of what are the subtleties within our brains sometimes that I, if I'm a lower desire, we talked about this at last year's getaway, where I picked on one of the participants who was a willing participant to go deeper with me in mm-hmm. front of a lot of people. <laughs> so kudos to her. Um, but it was the idea of, if you're the lower desire and you're really wanting to try to get credit for the sense that, hey, I made an attempt, I made a move, I made an, an initiation, but I did it at the most inopportune time, there's a subtle sadistic part of us that will play that game of, because I want the credit and I know there will be no follow through. Because it was at the inopportune time. Right. Yeah. But I, st- I want credit for it. Yeah. And so sometimes it's just understanding that dark side of us too is important and recognizing that's a dynamic at play. And so how am I owning all aspects of me as best I can to play a better low desire partner role? Yeah. Dr. Allen, um, I've got a question you might actually take, uh, may resonate with the sexy, community, sexy marriage community. Uh, I'm a father to three little girls and Ever, ever since finding your show has really improved a lot of communication between my wife and I, as well as having honest and frank conversations with our daughters. My question is, um, I know you've been very, very frank and honest with, uh, with pornography usage in your life, and I know what it's done, the damage it's, it's done to my marriage. And a question of mine is, how would you prepare a daddy prepare their daughter for the potential risks of uh, pornography being a an addictive 
something that uh, their potential mate had been addicted to. Um, we always wanted to, I think, uh, Shannon or actually Pam had ex- had, uh, had said, mentioned on the air, we'd like to have our children uh, educated rather than be naive. And the age appropriateness to when to bring this up and and how to how to handle and deal something like this to prepare them because you you don't have to dig very far to find the statistics of uh, of young men as early as 10 and 11 and 12 has viewed uh, pornographic material and as early as their teenage years been whether they admitted or not been diagnosed or not diagnosed um, admitted to be a a sex addict a porn addict so I look forward to hearing what you have as far as advice and you have a great day. This is a great question. It is. Yeah. Because we're talking about educating our kids and the next generation to, um, to face an issue that's, that's a hard one and it's out there and it's so prevalent. Um, the kids, kids have access to so much more than we did as kids with yes. the, with their phones and, um, so yeah, we got to be pr- proactive on this. So let's put this under the whole umbrella of just sexuality talk first, and then we'll dig deeper okay. like, uh, with our time. So the whole sexuality talk is, um, I believe, and, and this is what research has kind of borne out that I've seen, um, around the age of eight, seven, eight, nine is the time when you should have the talk, the, the full-on talk with your kids about sex and sexuality. You should obviously be doing a lot more conversations prior to this, namely labeling the body parts correctly, using moments to explain things when asked, bringing up things when appropriate as far as circumstances that surrounding, hey, you know, let me explain this because there's less fear when kids are in the concrete brain world, which is what happens from eight and younger-ish. Um, those things, they, the abstractness goes away. They don't, they don't understand those. They just want facts. Yeah. Here's how the body works. Here's what it's called. And so around, it is what it is. Around eight, give or take, is when abstract starts to get into the, a kid's brain. And that's when they can start to understand the, the mystery of sex, as Paul puts it in the Bible, mm-hmm. the mystery of, of marriage. So from then, it moves into teachable moments is the main thing, to have regular conversations, but use teachable moments, because adolescence provides ample opportunities of teachable moments. Turn on any kind of television show, there's ample opportunities of teachable moments. And in the, one of the things I love about technology is the fact that you can be sitting there watching a show with your children, something comes on that's very suggestive or overt, and as long as it's not the image being displayed on the screen, hit pause and ask your kids, what do you suppose is going on here? What do you suppose is the message here? How does this line up with our values? How does this line up with the way you think the world lives? How do you, you know, open-ended questions like that create a dialogue on, yeah. the, on the subject and it allows them to start make deeper understanding and jumps to conclusions that become their own, not just buying what mom and dad see, say hook, line, and sinker. Right. Well, pornography fits the same kind of a model in my mind because it's not that I start introducing it the, con- the subject early, and I for sure don't introduce them to it early or ever, but it is one of those that I start to, as soon as they hit adolescence or shortly before, because kids are being exposed to it, just like your, he mentioned, Eight, nine, ten is not at all abnormal now to have found and viewed porn- pornographic images online. 
So I'm walk. My belief is you walk alongside them and you use the teachable moments to explain. Here's the destructive nature of this. Here's how this can wreak havoc. And if you've got an experience like I have, and I've been open about, I've been open about this with my son already now, who's 11. Yeah. And told him, look, buddy, this has been a struggle of mine. I'm going to walk alongside you because I don't want you to have to go through the depth of struggle I have. Right. And I'm not saying do and don't, quote unquote, as much as I'm saying I'm walking alongside and I'm engaged in this to help steer. One of the things that I think helped ease into these conversations I know that we've had with our kids is we've talked about books in the past. You know, we started early on when they were younger in the concrete brain with um, where did I come from? Mm -hmm. And then when they get into adolescence, it's that what's happening to me now book. Right. And there's a section in there that's specifically about masturbation. Correct. And that section, while it, you know, it was a little awkward to read to the kids and Corey and I each at separate times have read them to both our son and right. our daughter. This is daughter. not just a mom or dad path. This is a mom and dad. Mom and dad. Path. Yeah. We both talk about this. And I think when this caller that's asking about girls, reading something like that and explaining here's what masturbation is mm -hmm. so they understand it from a global perspective that it's not a bad thing it's not a terrible thing but that allows for down the road you're planting seeds for being able to have those teachable moments down the road right when the subject of pornography comes up right and then they already understand they've got some sort of baseline of what masturbation is as far as Right. how it works within the body. And then when these things, the topics of pornography come up, you've, you've already got a little more quiver in your uh, arrows in your quiver to that. They've already got their brain wrapped around. Right. Um, so right. that's, I'm, I'm I bring that up for the groundwork. Piece. No, I, I like that. And then, so specifically, how do you start to introduce your daughters as they get older into the likelihood that they're going to be in a relationship with a man that has been exposed to this is, you be honest. You, you keep it age appropriate and you probably use it more as a gauge of how serious are they in relationships before I need to bring this up. Because there's no it's not necessary to start teaching a child that's 12, 13, 14, watch out for the dangers of this and the boy that you may meet. Because then she starts to get fearful. Right. We don't want to lay this groundwork that every guy is some closet a porn addict because right. they may not be right most men are exposed it. to it but that doesn't mean they're habitual addicted users of it right there's a big difference between that yeah and some of them most of them have a season of it called adolescence and then it evolves out so the question is how do you start to see it to take the secretness away from it and you have, you, you, I think you walk alongside a daughter and you say, as she is getting serious with a young man, and it looks like there's something really long lasting that could come from this, I think it, one of the conversations you should have with them is, have you guys talked about this subject and your, both of your experiences with it? To see if you're each honest about it. So, because it's not just. So you're it, saying they have a, a conversation with the daughter to say, hey, ha have you and your yeah. boyfriend or fiance talked about pornography right. and the use have you, thereof. Have you asked him point blank, has pornography been an issue for you? Has he? Have you disclosed to him point blank, is pornography or romance novels or any of the equivalent an issue for yourself? Yeah, that's a good way for to encourage that line of communication to open up. Um, 
I'm, I'm trying to, so I see that. I'm trying to think more along the lines of how does dad educate daughter? But that's part of it, I guess. You're, you're, it's a, you're, pro, it's, it's, you're talking about here's the things that you need to be willing to bring up. Right. It's with a willingness your to trust your, yeah, well, potentially a future mate, but someone that you're just right. with, a boyfriend or whatever, be, be on the, your guard. Right. And, but it's also a, a father or a mother trusting their gut as they walk alongside their daughter to, okay, hold on. I get a sense something else is, this is a deeper deal. This is something, okay, I need to now make sure I'm still walking alongside her in this. Because okay. my role with a woman, with a daughter, is as she becomes a woman, doesn't end just because she becomes a woman. Right. I'm still an ally and a resource for her. Yeah. So I do this through trusting my gut, being engaged and being a, a, alongside her, and then leading when appropriate. Because a lot of these things, I mean, this whole subject matter largely is, I, I don't get very far when I become a dictator with it. No. But I do get much further when I'm walking alongside and I'm interjecting things to steer when appropriate. Okay. And some of those, there's hard and fast rules on when it's appropriate. When there's something going on that it's obvious, okay, I need to, I need to step in. And if I miss the boat, so what? I can still get on it. Doesn't matter if I'm late to it. Okay. But it's, it's recognizing that's the path I've got to start interjecting and being a part of to really help prepare a child because I can't, I can't, and I also have to confront the fact that I can't 100% prepare a child for marriage or for adulthood. Well, true. So I got to come up, I got to face my own limitations as well. Hey, Corey and Pam, just wanted to uh, leave some feedback. I appreciate you guys and appreciate what you do in the show. And I just have some feedback from, uh, from two separate uh, episodes from beforehand. Um, I want to mention how I appreciate your willingness at the end of episode 378 to walk back your comments uh, about the woman that wanted to be respected and how she wanted to be touched. I just think it's really admirable that uh, that you guys are willing to take that feedback and uh, and reconsider it. I wanted to respond to the uh, high desire wife uh, in last week's episode. You know, I have a hunch that there's more going on here for the husband of that couple than he may be willing to admit to himself or even to her. That there's some kind of wall up uh, on his end that's keeping him from being vulnerable. When he's saying that he is, that he's all good, that he's got no issues with her, uh, that kind of thing, that might not be completely honest. I know for us it took a lot longer than the three and a half years that this caller talked about for us to be completely honest. It could be that he just isn't wanting to say that her approach isn't working, that uh, that maybe he's concerned that in, in saying something like that, he's rejecting her. So instead, he's just kind of fudging words. I mean, rejection, fear of rejection, and sometimes even the fear of the reaction of rejection can be powerful things in a relationship. Anyway, let's just put some feedback uh, to, to the Higher Desire Wife comment. Thanks, guys. And we'll leave it at that. This has been Sexy Marriage Radio, where we gladly thank you for coming and spending time with us. If you stuck through us with the extended version all the way through, let us know what you thought. 214-702-9565. If you didn't hear the extended version, join the Sexy Marriage Academy. You can get it. It's just that simple. Look forward to seeing you there. 
Well, wherever you are, whatever you've been doing to take some time out of it to spend it with us, we have to say we hope to see you next time.